This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cyber Traps podcast. I am Jethro Jones, host of the Transformative Principal podcast and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. And I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I are teaming up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising out of the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the nation's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology. Today, we're, we've got an expert in educational technology and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to navigate our increasingly high-tech world. Hey there, Jethro. Well, good morning. Excuse me, I got all emotional for a moment. Pardon me. <laughs> Man, that just hit me. Good morning. Well, you good will- to see you. You Alaskans get together, and it's always very emotional. <laughs> it is. I I didn't put my uh, my location in our bio as we've been talking about, but um, but I was principal up in Alaska for six years, and um, attending the ASTI conference was certainly one of the highlights. And being a member of that organization for that time was really fantastic. And it, it's exciting because we're talking to Jeannie Seidler today. And I think as the, uh, the only other Alaskan on the podcast, you should have the honor <laughs> of introducing her. Well, um, I so Jeannie uh, has been the executive director of the ASTI Alaska Society for Technology and Education um, organization for eight years. And uh, she organizes the ASTI annual conference, which is an amazing conference that happens every year in, um, in Alaska and in Anchorage. And she's been a classroom elementary teacher uh, for over 20 years. And uh, she just recently told me before we started that she's excited to uh, retire, I think the second time now, <laughs> from her position as executive <laughs> director. And um, 
spend some more time in the classroom with kids. And so there's a, so much more about Jeannie we could get into, but we'll go ahead and welcome you, Jeannie, now to the program. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, really excited to talk with you. Um, being in Alaska and uh, living there and having these different experiences than most people do, um, we learned a long time ago that uh, distance education and doing things differently needed to be the case. And this year during the pandemic, it has been brought more to the forefront and a lot of things we did in Alaska, uh, people in the rest of the United States are just now learning about and the rest of the world. So why don't you start by talking a little bit about um, your experience as the executive director uh, of ASTI and what are some of your goals as the, uh, as the organization ASTI? Certainly, yeah. So my experience uh, with ASTI actually started in 2008 when I was asked to run for president. Um, and at the time, uh, Sarah Palin was running for vice president. And so I thought, well, if she can be vice president, I think I can handle this. So I went ahead and uh, put my hat in the ring. And then in 2013, I took on the job of executive director where I manage the event of 400 to 600 attendees throughout Alaska. We have about 200 sessions over four days in our face-to-face -face event. We have industry, both large and small that come into ASTI to uh, be in our exhibit hall. We have educational communities, both government and private that we communicate with. We deal with political issues through advocacy for bandwidth and devices and policy. And we also, most importantly, we, we deal with schools, districts and teachers. So that's um, my experience with ASTI over the years. And uh, the second part of your question, could you tell me that again? <laughs> Um, I was I was going to go into uh, some of the things that you've learned about uh, distance and remote education in Alaska and how that um, has informed decisions during the pandemic. Um, well, this pandemic has caused everyone to pivot quickly. Now in Alaska, of course, there were some online teaching going on already. So I think they adapted probably better than places like Oregon, but they, most teachers were still forced into a situation they weren't, weren't at all prepared for. Uh, they were struggling and they uh, were posting things like, this feels like uh, four months of ASTI every day. <laughs> so their, their mind was blown. <laughs> Hopefully that's a compliment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that just goes to show you that these kinds of organizations like ASTI that provide this kind of training outside of the institution are vital to Alaskans. Uh, we have been providing distance education uh, courses and learning and how to do it for years already. So that's that's been our service to Alaska. One of the things I noticed, Jeannie, is that um, this version of ASTI, your last, I was very startled to see the job listing on the ASTI website. I was like, oh no, but um, this one is go global. And for the first time, ASTI is going to be doing a virtual conference. How do you think that's going to play out? Um, what, do you, uh, what steps are you taking to try to replicate the wonderful feel of people getting together? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that. That is our major problem is we want to have that feel. You know, a few months ago, I read a book about Bell Laboratories and how they designed their building so that 
innovators and people who were doing research interacted with others who were doing marketing by just walking down the hallway. And I know at ASTI, it's the same thing. You can study a topic as long as you want online or in isolation. But when you get to the NASTI conference and you have a chance interaction with someone and boom, the light bulb goes off and you go down a whole different road. So we don't know how we're going to do that. Uh, we're trying to have some fun events after ASTI where people get to network. We're providing some Padlet interactions where people can post things and interact with each other. It certainly is the most difficult thing to replicate virtually. We can do our sessions online. We know how to do that. But then again, 99% of the interactions are within the sessions and we're using Zoom collaborative meetings. I think most of our presenters allow a lot of discussion. So we're hoping to achieve that same kind of contact virtually. Yeah, I think that that aspect, having been at ASTI, which um, I've been to a lot of different conferences, but there's something special about ASTI in particular that I that you're hinting at that I think we need to just uh, emphasize a little bit more. Everybody goes to, to um, conferences for learning, sure, but they also go for networking. And networking in Alaska is a little bit different because the state is so big and yet the community is so small. And so, you know, you can see people uh, that you've, you know, seen over the years at ASTI and become friends with them. In fact, that's where I met Fred for the first time, by the way, which is kind of cool. Um, so you can, you can see them and then you network with them uh, in a different way because, you um, we're already used to communicating over long distances in Alaska. And so it really becomes this powerful time to get together and to spend that quality time with each other. Um, you know, I don't think that I stayed up as late uh, any other time than when I was at ASTI and there's always something going on. And it's a lot of fun to be able to do that. And sure, you can try to replicate those things with the technology, um, but, but it can still be challenging to do that. So as, as you think about the, the challenges with making sure that people connect, um, what, what do you think it means to the Alaskan education community to have ASTI um, as this consistent thing that is always there? Uh, it means an awful lot, uh, especially for our core teachers who come. So in thinking about this earlier this week, you know, I see that there are two types of teachers. There's the type A, the early adopters, the way out ahead of the crowd people who were the first ones to um, help build a computer lab in the school years ago, or maybe they had a Promethean board in their classroom before anybody else. Um, they're eager, they're fearless, they want more knowledge all the time. They think uh, technology is going to be a, a panacea. It's going to solve problems. It's going to help them become more efficient, more effective teachers. And there's the type B who are fearful. Uh, they are just flummoxed by technology. They don't see how they're going to have the time to learn it. So they kind of have to be dragged into it by district policy or schools. Um, but they come to ASTI for help and support and technology help. And so do those type A's. They both are desperate for this kind of professional development. And frankly, the institutions have failed them in that. Um, In-service days, my husband and I were just talking about that were a huge waste of time. No offense, Jethro, but we really felt that they didn't hit our needs. We'd bring our papers and grade during the in-service. It was a waste of our time. We really feel that ASTI provides uh, an avenue for both type A and type B. The type A can present and relearn their 
information, practice it, and share it with others, which reinforces their learning. Type B, gather a lot of information. They, they have colleagues that help them along the way. They are inspired by ASTI. So that's the important thing that we do in bringing these people from remote communities that don't have bountiful resources where they're at to learn. And one example I wanna make is one year we had uh, websites in our exhibit hall, people who service website, for instance, school wires. And this new thing with website, they had school designed websites that had grading and that had communication with parents and had attendance. And shortly after that conference, we noticed that villages all over Alaska were suddenly popping up with these websites and their connectivity just blossomed because of that one interchange at that conference. And then also talking to other people at the conference that were using the same platforms. So it's things like that, that really make an effect that make this job worthwhile. Well, and it's, it's evident that you bring a lot of fondness and enthusiasm to this whole process, Jeannie. I've had the pleasure, as you know, of coming up to Alaska you know, the last six or seven years. And this is always one of my most enjoyable conferences because the intensity with which people focus on what's being presented is delightful. I do think, you know, some teachers come um, seeking self-defense because students are so uh, good at this stuff, but there's, there's really an enthusiasm for how technology can be incorporated into the classroom to actually make teaching better. Um, so I, I, I think you guys have all done a really terrific job. One of the things I really enjoy talking about as Jethro knows full well is how technology has evolved over the years. And I'd love to hear what you have to say about, you know, what, what has ASTI seen in the time that you've been there? What's really struck you about how things have progressed? Yeah, well, this is a trip down memory lane, of course. <laughs> but, Those are uh, the best. <laughs> but, you know, our ASTI conferences have a theme every year. And I was just looking at the list of them over the last 10 years. And it's interesting to view them through that kind of lens. We started out earlier, even before my time, with ideas that were sort of focused around teachers. Um, a Palm Pilot helped you organize your day. Um, thumb drives, you could put documents on them and take them to and from school. Um, Google Classroom and Google Things, Google Earth was a big thing for a while. And then sometime about 2015, or maybe even earlier, it sort of shifted to student-centered ideas, gaming, <laughs> selfies because they had these devices in their hands and they were way ahead of us. We did not know what they were doing and we needed to learn that and find out. And then this last year we had eSports where they're doing gaming on TV and we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing and we had a lot of discussion about it. We had some teachers building teams in their high school, other teachers who were totally against it. Um, when we had the Game On conference where we had Minecraft rooms for teachers to learn how to Minecraft we had a lot of teachers who didn't come, principals who wouldn't let their teachers come because they thought the theme was inappropriate. So it's been a lot of change, but then recently this year, of course, with virtual, I've noticed a shift back to this teacher-centered. Teachers need to learn about Canvas, about Zooming, about managing uh, students' work at home, they're desperate for that kind of training right now this year. And of course we've switched to virtual 
We don't know if we'll ever have another snow day. Uh, in fact, they had an ice day the first day they were supposed to go back to face to face this year in, in the valley, Madniska-Susitna Valley. We're supposed to go back to face to face school. First day of back to back was an ice day. Did school end? No, they had a virtual day. <laughs> so we're never going to have a snow day and teachers are going to have to prepare for their material for both online and in school. That's an enormous task. My son's a science teacher. He has to prepare a lab in the lab or a lab on the computer. And as you can imagine, that's two completely different things. So we're handing them a pretty big task when we have both the hybrid situation. Yeah, you know, one thing that I, that I also love about the conference is you have this thing called I did a contest, um, which is, you know, named after the I did a rod, but it um, is an amazing, uh, uh, competition among students to create things using uh, digital technology. So there's, I did a movie, I did a doc, which is a documentary. I did a photo, I did a podcast, I did a tune, which is a, um, typically a, a music or something. I did a book, I did an app, I did a thing. Um, tell us about that contest. Um, and it is, uh, it is not, um, I don't think that it's like the highlight of the, um, conference it's not like the big thing except when you're there it's just so amazing to watch all the winners and see what they have created and so um i don't i think that it's something that's just this like quiet awesome thing that people don't um don't recognize is as powerful as it is so talk a little bit about the i did a contest oh sure i'd love to i just spent a couple hours judging some wonderful um submissions this year and that's one of the fun parts of my job. When I have spare time, I go in and judge them. This uh, contest started many years ago and it has been sort of the gateway to technology. So it's like the gateway drug. Uh, teachers who maybe don't use technology are finding ways for kids to demonstrate their knowledge through technology, writing a book, making a song, making a movie. And usually those things have to do with some kind of subject or topic of their choice, but they do a marvelous job. And you're right, watching that is actually one of the highlights of the conference because it's so inspiring. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great project. And our project happened so many years ago that other uh, affiliates of ISTE, which is the major technology organization for teachers have copied us, uh, Michigan copied us, Q has one now, for many years has after we started, but we sort of launched this from the beginning. And it gives people a way to play around with technology, take a picture, enter it, learn about photography, learn about communicating through media. And it's just amazing. And like you said, it's grown. We have, I did a thing now, I uh, did a judging of some pencil art, uh, digital pencil art, magnificent. Looks like a real picture really incredible what kids are learning at a very young age uh, through this contest. Well, I would encourage any of our listeners who are either watching live or, or listening later on, you can go to aste.org, A-S-T-E dot O-R-G. And in the pull down menu is I did a contest and there's all kinds of information about this amazing program. I remember the first time I saw this, again, probably about seven years ago, I was just blown away by the maturity and the creativity of the kids in terms of their photographs, their composition. 
And of course, there's no end of things in Alaska that are gorgeous to photograph. Um, but I have been really impressed. And I think this is one of the things that, that the Alaska educational community does really well is that each year, it seems like there's a new manifestation of it. You know, moving into game design, you know, where the kids are actually putting these th things together. What was it a couple of years ago? You had your first. I did it. I did an app. It's a little hard to say, but it, the kids are really starting to use Visual Basic and other tools to develop their own apps and put them out in the world. It's it's really impressive stuff. Yeah, it certainly is. It's they they are again way ahead of us, and we need to catch up. <laughs> I just got to laugh that you referenced Visual Basic. I'm not sure they're using Visual Basic, Fred, to be honest, but maybe they are. <laughs> well, that's, I, I may have dated and outed myself as a <laughs> gray hair on all of this. Um, Jethro, you may actually have your finger on that pulse. But in any case, they're doing cool yeah. stuff. That's all we need to conclude. <laughs> that's right. That And that is really the important thing. And what I like about it is that it's encouraging them to share with um with others and to not just, you know, create and keep it to yourself, but to share. And I think that sharing what you're learning is incredibly valuable. So Jeannie, could you talk a little bit about the power of sharing what you're learning? And uh, if I can kind of set up the question for you, uh, one of the great things about ASTI is that that conference really is about everybody. It's not just, you know, um, anybody can come and present. So a librarian assistant I took to present one year. Um, it can be a, a teacher or a principal or anybody along any kind of continuum can come and present there. And uh, it's like, it puts everybody on a level playing field that there's not like this one person is the expert and nobody else can share what they, what they have learned. So talk about the value of sharing what you're learning. Oh, it's immense. And I can speak from personal experience because one of my major uh, positive experiences at ASTI was coming to present on a Promethean board. And uh, that, that was exciting and it made me feel like a leader in my community. And people contacted me and, and we talked and we discussed different things and I learned new things. So it created that networking and community. We enter, um, we start our call for proposals early in this fall and we collect from teachers from all over the state and then we review them and we usually accept I'd say 95% of them because we just try to make room for everybody. It's been a wonderful process being part of that and seeing what people submit and learning the names of these people and connecting with them. They're talented wonderful people and they get an opportunity to display that talent and share their knowledge and like I said before, that's the type A, they get reinforced and they go on with it. I also had a, a TV broadcasting team in elementary school and ASTI was a wonderful asset for me to learn more about that and to find other teachers in the state that were doing that where we could share information and grow from it. So I've experienced it firsthand, but I know our process of selecting those teachers and bringing them in is vital to the energy that is at ASTI. I know that uh, their friends, their teachers, their, their 
principals are all enthusiastic about them doing it and they get reinforced and get that little pat on the back at the same time and they don't get paid anything. <laughs> so, but what we did do this year and I wanna add is we sent them circle lights and microphones so that they could present online as professionally as they do in a session classroom face-to-face. -face. So we're hoping that they can fall quickly into this kind of presentation with ASTI. Although I have discovered, unfortunately, that circle lights do a real number on your glasses. So that's actually a little bit of a challenge. Um, that's interesting. So Jeannie, I, I, and I'm jumping, I guess, on Jethro's toes, but one thing I wanted to link in with that, in terms of the enthusiasm that ASTI generates, how does that play out in your interactions with state leaders? You know, particularly in the context of education budgets and support for the schools and so forth. We've had a close alignment with DEED, Department of Education and Early uh, Education, uh, for a long time. We've had a representative on our board from DEED almost every year. We do this year. DEED has been a sponsor and we've been able to receive grants from them over the years, which help us with our production of our events. Um, they are a, a close hand-in-hand -hand, uh, team with us. So it's very important. And then we can convey to them information that we're getting from our teachers on what their needs are and policies and things like that. So there's a, a two-way uh, communication. DEED also has in the past worked closely with technology directors in schools to help plan things like testing <laughs> and other things that you know use technology for that you just need to, in order to make the school systems work. So that's been an important part of ASTI. We've held those technology summits at our event over the years, either before, after, or during the event itself. So we're close workers with them. Yeah, and, and that makes it really important for them to be able to support funding for um, for rural schools, uh, broadband access, things like that, that um, are are still concerns throughout the nation, even though lot, we've made a lot of progress on that. And I know that's been a big part of ASTI in the past as well. Um, one of the things that, that you mentioned that I want to highlight is that you have a very high acceptance rate because you want to include everyone. And I think that is, that is so important for people who, um, who don't know that they have something to share and are just, you know, trying to do their best and don't realize that they really do add some value. And so, um, I want to share one little story about that. My librarian at, at uh, at Tana Middle School in Fairbanks, Tana Martin, who um, moved to Alaska a few years ago. And you're smiling because I think you know who she is because she is amazing. Um, she, she came up and was doing these amazing things in our school with makerspaces. And she was doing a different makerspace every week. Kids were totally engaged. Kids were eager to go to the library and experience what she was doing. And she didn't, um, she didn't think that she would get accepted if she applied uh, to present at the at the ASTI conference and you know I was like no I'm pretty sure you'll do well because I know what you're doing is amazing and so I pushed her to do it and she and she did it and um, and she was so excited and felt so honored that the state organization would support her in that and then she did the presentation and I uh, had tons of great feedback and took two full suitcases down <laughs> with her to to carry all of her gear and 
And I share that story because I saw that firsthand, but then I also saw it with so many people who were presenting who didn't, who didn't feel like they were, had something really great. It was just normal to them, but because of, of ASTI, they had a stage to present those things, which I think is just a phenomenal value that, that ASTI provides. And well, thank you for adding that. I, we firmly believe that, and that has been the premise of our organization from the start. Partly it was because when we started 40 years ago, we were just talking to each other <laughs> and we just wanted a place to do that. But then as it grew, we were able to reach out to other people and bring them in also. And that's been a wonderful experience for us. Well, that's really cool actually, Jeannie, because that's basically reaching back into the computer club days you know, where you guys would have gotten together and swapped uh, parts for putting together the early PCs. Um, that gives you guys a lot of experience with respect to remote learning. I mean, one of the things about Alaska, of course, is that it is absolutely massive and also not very densely populated. As a matter of fact, I think you're the least densely populated state in the United States. So one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you is that Alaska educators have had remote learning experience way before the lower 48. And I'm curious to find out from you what kinds of issues Alaska has confronted that other people are now just getting up to speed on. I mean, has it generally been a you know, universally positive experience or are there problems people should be aware of? Well, I think there are a myriad of problems. Uh, first of all, we are remote and bandwidth is a huge problem throughout the state. It still remains that to this day. Most of our teachers who are presenting this session will not be able to present from home. They have to go to the school building. The school building is the only place where they have enough bandwidth to do an online presentation. So that's the, the magnitude of the problem is huge. Uh, there's just not enough bandwidth in those rural villages. They have, I wish I knew more about the technology, but they have, um, beaming, they, they beam the signal. There's no underground wires, there's no cables. It's beamed between two posts over immense land and weather. So interruptions are common. Certainly we did try to do distance learning. The state has sponsored distance learning. They have a virtual classroom, um, but it, they have a lot of problems with that, just the bandwidth. That's why ASTI has long advocated for more money by the state and the federal government to increase that and to help with that digital divide because of course, urban centers don't have that problem. So that's, that's, the, that's obviously the technical piece. And um, you know, having, I think the farthest North have gotten in Alaska is Fairbanks. And I know that there's like half a continent north of that still. So the size of the place is almost impossible to grasp. But the other piece of the remote learning that I'd like to hear your thoughts on is the interpersonal. You know, how, how, have, how have Alaskan teachers adapted to the pedagogical challenges of using remote learning? And, and what kinds of issues have arisen there? What kinds of things has ASTI taken a look at? Well, if you're talking about, I mean, in the remote villages, first of all, there's cultural problems. Um, and then obviously they're not going to have, uh, and, and the bandwidth problem, but 
Um, other than that, I'm not as familiar with it. They, the problem is that the pedagogy and the traditional pedagogy of grade levels doesn't always equate. So it's a more of a personalized learning situation where they take the student where the student is at and try to teach from that point on. And from what I understand, that's how it has to work since these are various uh, different cultures and just different levels of learning and exposure to worldly knowledge is limited. Yeah, and if I can just add to that, you know, for example, in Kodiak, we had um, at our high school that Damon Hargraves was instrumental in getting set up was um, being able to teach welding to students in remote villages. So Kodiak is an island and there are six village schools around the outskirts of the island. And the, the main city of Kodiak, you know, is a city with a high school. It's very nice and all that, but um, they had a welding program, which is important for, um, for, you know, making boats in a fishing community. And so uh, welding is really important there. And so they would teach kids how to weld, but the kids couldn't um, they didn't have a welding teacher out in the villages. And so they would teach that remotely from, um, from the high school. And they had this set up where they could record it and broadcast it to them and uh, using that bandwidth that, that was limited, but that they had access to um, that made it possible for them to gain this skill. And then they would come into Kodiak for the test to be certified as a welder. And those kinds of opportunities, um, you know, if you think it's hard to teach English or math uh, virtually, imagine teaching welding virtually, which seems like one of the most hands-on things you could do, not to mention all the safety issues. But those kinds of challenges are, you know, they're just part of living up there. And when you see something that needs to be done, you find a way to make it happen. And I think that really is uh, one of the things that I learned being a principal up in Alaska. It's funny you should mention that, Jethro, because that was one of the uh, workshop classes that I did in high school. <laughs> I actually welded my parents a uh, an ashtray. This is back in the late seventies. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I think the thing, you know, again, this is one of the things that is is so fascinating about the state, is the challenges that that education in these small communities with very different cultural expectations present to teachers. Um, I know, you know, in the trips that I've made that um, expectations regarding, for instance, social media use are often quite different than what you might have down in the lower 48 in the sense that if you've got a community of, you know, 200, 300 people and you've got a school there, how teachers interact with their students is very different than if you've got 800 or 900 students in a high school. And I, I think that that's really fascinating. I think the, the cross-pollination, Jeannie, that you get at ASTI must be just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And a lot of times these uh, groups will have little user groups. They have a PowerSchool user group because they use PowerSchool for attendance and stuff like that. And they, and they come to ASTI and they, they demand a room to meet in. It's very important to them that they get a chance to be face-to-face. -face. They've, of course, communicated with each other online you know, constantly, but they just want to hang out together. They come and they all wear their own t-shirts that show that they're part of that group. So, and, and that happens a lot at ASTI. It's the one chance to meet. So we hope to continue that even though we're going virtual this year. 
Yeah. So, you know, you've done a lot in your career besides just ASTI. That's kind of what we're focusing on right now because, um, because, you know, it's coming up in the next couple of weeks and we wanted to make sure we, we talked about that, but can you talk about some of the uh, pitfalls or um, uh, some of the lessons you've learned about technology and implementation uh, in your career? Sure. <laughs> There's a lot of them, but one that stands out is that after I, I left being a teacher and I came out to Oregon and I was hired by Intel to write curriculum um, Intel was vying for a contract with Los Angeles, a $30 million contract. They were going to into a one-to-one -one program throughout the Los Angeles school district. And so they wanted to offer Los Angeles, not only the devices, but curriculum to provide this kind of one-to-one -one personalized learning. So the teachers would have some use of it, knowledge of it and know how to use it. So we were writing this curriculum up and we put a lot of work into it. And of course the contract went to Apple <laughs> and they, they sent out all of these iPads. I think there were 6 million of them or something, $30 million contract. And within a day or two, the kids had cracked them. They'd broken the filter. They asked for the iPads back. The whole project was a huge failure in, at least in the eyes of the media for Los Angeles and, and, our little team at Intel went, ha ha, we thought so. But the point being that you can't just hand technology out. You really need to do a lot of professional development and it really needs to be done ahead of time. And so often it is not. The device shows up, the Promethean board is installed in your classroom. I was a Promethean certified installer and it would be used as a screen for an old fashioned overhead projector the teachers just didn't know how to use it and we didn't have the funds to do as much training as we needed to do to make it a useful and now of course it's gone by the wayside because it is the training required is too intense so those are the kind of failures it's technology coming out before people are ready to employ it that's been some of the biggest failures uh, another issue this was a nasty issue live streaming after the event. Hey, this was technology we, we had. In fact, we had high school students that were capable of doing it. So we brought them into ASTI, give them an opportunity to live stream this event. Teachers all over the state hooked up their little TV in their classroom so they could see the keynote presentation at ASTI. And the keynote presenter went off on a expletive deletive rant. <laughs> <laughs> that was broadcast throughout the state of Alaska, and we had principals and superintendents calling us up and yelling at us. So again, the technology got out ahead of procedures and, and professional development for how it can be used. I always love it when my uh, book Decency Wars becomes relevant to these conversations. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a couple of things, Jeannie, that this brings up. So number one, of course, is, is social norms, right? It, it, you know, a lot of this technology jumps ahead of our adaptation as a society and how we should use it. I mean, we've had a crash course in Zoom etiquette over the past, you know, year, unfortunately. But more significantly, I think, and, and this is an ongoing conversation that Jethro and I have had, is the is the way in which the pandemic has shined this very bright light on disparities in access. I mean, you're talking about broadband access. Many of these villages struggle to use the materials that are online because of that. Um, there's serious device issues 
one of the stories I've been following is actually the UK trying to basically distribute half a million computers, Chromebooks to kids because there's such a gap in, in access. Um, would you care to comment on, on how that has played out in Alaska and, and how it's going? Um, you know, I think it's it's nationwide. Whatever the problems are in Alaska are actually mirrored in the entire United States because certainly there are remote communities in Montana, but then there are also urban communities where there's no Wi-Fi in the building. So the parent takes the child out to the parking lot next to Starbucks. Um, this is a big issue. This is a huge issue. Oh, you're absolutely right. I completely yeah, we were not agree. prepared. <laughs> we were not prepared for this. And many, many parents are struggling with this. Uh, they're having to upgrade their Comcast or Xfinity or their Wi-Fi. They suddenly have five people on devices at one time instead of one. They're all working from home. This has been a major revolution in the use of technology this last year. And it's interesting to see how we manage to control it or to um, manage, well, just manage it. Because I know that I'm being throttled every now and then by my provider. <laughs> and I can tell when I am, and I went in to talk to them yesterday about it. But it's, uh, you know, we don't have control over how much is coming into us. We think we do, but we don't. And to have our national education program dependent on Wi-Fi providers is just an incredible uh, insufficiency for us. So, well, I'll, I'll reiterate my call that the internet become an effectively run public utility and uh, we, can, we can have that conversation at some point. I think the last point I'd make on this, Ginny, is you're, you're absolutely right that these issues are not unique to Alaska in any way, shape or form. Um, my wife teaches online, uh, has been for the last two semesters. We actually have to coordinate who's, you know, who's streaming what when, basically. So I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and Jeannie, I really appreciate you being here today. This was a great conversation and um, made me remember fondly my time in Alaska and grateful that I've been able to be part of ASTI as well. Um, if you are interested in learning more about ASTI, go to ASTE.org, A-S-T-E.org. Um, and even if you're not in Alaska, there's still a lot of great stuff you can learn from them. So uh, Jeannie, thanks again for being part of the Cybertraps podcast. Thank you for inviting me. A highlight to my career. <laughs> that cannot possibly be true but thank you anyway <laughs> yes that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast in the coming weeks we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas including digital misconduct cyber safety cybersecurity, privacy digital equality and the challenges of high-tech parenting along the way we'll talk to our growing collection of interesting experts we're helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology. And you can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening and you're still here, you must have enjoyed this conversation. If so, please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast player of choice. And we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. This week, we have Jeff Temple, who's going to talk about sexting 
and whether or not that is the real problem that we're facing with our youth. So tune into that one on Thursday, cybertraps.com. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.